call is now being recorded. Yo, yo. Yo. This is the Channel 10 Podcast Special Edition. I guess the Baltimore Edition. Once again, um, make sure you check out Channel10Podcast.com and you know the rest. Look for us wherever you are online. Um... Since we last spoke, it's been one hell of a week, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm uh, yeah. You've been keeping me updated on what on everything that's been going on. Yeah, all throughout um, the week. It's definitely um, it's definitely been something. I must say, like you know, on the last episode, um, we recorded it on Sunday. And this was like the day after the protest that happened on Saturday, and <clears throat> you know we were getting into um, various things that have to do with you know just police brutality and you know the Freddie Gray situation and everything in general. And just the next day, you know, <laughs> it turned into something completely different. Um, the world is watching our city right now, and um, I guess, you know, going from my perspective, um, everything, you know, it started off at Mondawmin Mall, and, mm-hmm. you know, we grew up up the street from Mondawmin Mall. We used to walk there and all that, and, you know, I had to go drive past Mondawmin to um, pick my mother up from work, so I... um. I was like, let me avoid it. So I avoided Mondawmin Mall going there, and then um, I had to take her, you know, where she had to go. So I was going to have to go past Mondawmin again, so I said, let me avoid that. So I'm driving up North Avenue, and I end up busting the left up Fulton to hit, um, to hit, uh, I guess, what street is that? Drew Hill Avenue, so I could get on, um, the 28th Street Bridge, 29th Street Bridge, whatever. And, you know, it's just amazing because if I would have been there 20 minutes later, I would have been in the heat. I mean, 20 minutes, yeah, 20 minutes later, I would have been in the heat of everything that happened, like ground zero for, um, I guess, the beginning of the uh, Baltimore riots. And, you know, it started there, and, you know, I'm keeping up with everything that's going on and throughout the night. You're looking at the news and all of that, and you just see the city looking like it's up in flames. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, at that moment, I'm just thinking, you know, how could this all be happening? And then I guess I have a different perspective because, you know, that night, um, for completely unrelated reasons, I ended up having to be in the emergency room for a long time. And so I'm just seeing like people come in with various injuries related to the to the riots, and I'm talking to this guy. He asked me to use uh, my phone charger, so you know he starts talking to me. He's talking about he messed his leg up. So um, I didn't ask him or anything like that, even though I was kind of curious. So he tells me, "Yeah, man, I uh, I messed my leg up hopping out a window." Uh, for real, he was like, yeah, actually hopping in the window. <clears throat> I was like, damn. And he was like, yeah, we were at the at the Shoe City on, in the West Side Shopping Center. 
and you know I was I was down there. You know they took the trash can, they busted out the windows, and he was telling me like how crazy it was because you know when you bust out a window, it just all doesn't you know come out of the frame. You're gonna have jagged edges at the top, and they might fall on you. So he said, you know we're jumping through, and it's jagged glass falling everywhere. And um, he was talking about how somebody fell. He was like, yeah, it was a big girl. She fell. And so people were using her as a springboard to jump into the store. So he said he was the second to last person to get in. And um, he said, but the way he, he, he landed on her, but she was, like, getting up. And he, like, twisted his ankle or his leg some type of way. He knew it was hurt, but he could still stand on it. So he said he starts grabbing up all his shoes and all of that. And he hears the police there. Um, you know, he said he had only been in there a couple of seconds and the cops came. So, you know, unfortunately he had to drop all his all his uh stolen merchandise and he was trying to hop out the window but he couldn't do it, so he said a stranger helps him up because, you know, his, um his, his leg is hurting. And he said as people are hopping out the window, the police uh, beating him with billy clubs and then arresting him. So the guy helps him up so he can, you know, hop out the window. And the cops are right there. So he says that he pushes the guy into the cops so he can get arrested. And then he runs and then hides behind, <laughs> hides behind a bunch of carts at a Rite Aid, like, across the parking lot. And I was just like, wow, this is crazy. So he's trying to hide there and call his friends to come get him. And then uh, he said... Then some people come over with a trash can. They start busting out the Rite Aid. So he had to run some more and find some bushes. And he, you know, met up with his friends. And that's how he ended up in the emergency room. So I guess that's just some perspective <laughs> of uh, one of the stories that was going down that night. Okay, and, so. Know, I'll go ahead. Okay, sorry. Okay, let me ask, let me ask you this question. Right. Is there anything about Freddie Gray and Justice? Cops, anything other than people, people being beat with Billy Cubs because they obviously they broke into a shoe city. Nah, the only thing that he said, um, somebody called him, and he was just like, "Yeah, man, I did some dumb shit that I'm too old to be doing." So you okay. know, I'm just thinking about it. Like, I guess. I guess as the night went on, you started to get more people who were kind of opportunists and look for it as an opportunity to come up on something, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and you get people who ain't had nothing, so they're going to go and try to get something if the opportunity presents itself. But, nah, that wasn't uh, not about Freddie Gray or Justice or anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, at least not from his... Uh, not anything from the story that he told me. He didn't even really mention it from what I can remember. <laughs> okay. So um, I guess that goes into what we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of it started, you know, at my dorm and, and um, you know, being there frequently, you know, just, you know, being in high school and, you know, having to use um, my dormant station to, to get home from school. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, 
it, it's weird because you know, well, you know, Madonna is like that's like the perfect breeding ground for um for the a class between um uh, between like the school children and the cops because um there's just no coming up. Um, you know, a lot a lot of times the cops they were really aggressive towards like a lot of the children. Right. Um, to a certain extent, and you know, I, I've I've seen this on and on for what, maybe damn near what ten, eleven, twelve years or something like that. And you know, at least there it makes a lot of sense why that happened. Um, and I think this goes back to the to the last episode where, excuse me, I mentioned. Um, I think I used an example of of how a cop should probably be toward you know someone who who happens to be there in my domain. Um, like the way he approached me, he was just like really nice and he was straightforward. Just like he just wanted to know why I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, it wasn't it was nighttime and I was just kind of standing in the parking lot. Um, so I'm pretty sure it did look kind of suspect. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, I I know. Um, I the the way after your story the the the, <laughs> the way I kind of just kind of attacked it just to see if he was talking anything about injustice or or Freddie Gray or anything it may seem as if I'm like totally against what what's happening or what's going on right now but I'm not exactly but um I don't know I I'm just really against you know what you just said with these these opportunists who've been coming out as a way just to get things yeah I mean. I feel like you know it's it's a conflicting type of thing because you know you see the one side of it as one you know you see somewhere that you're from and it's you know it appears to be going up on you know um up in flames, especially the way they're uh broadcasting it on the media and um you know you hate to see the ramifications of how it's going to affect people's lives. Like the people who have to work there might be out of a job or out of hours or anything like that. And, you know, I know people who know people who, you know, lost their employment off of this. But I think also at the same time, it, um, you know, there's a reason why this happened, you know. And I think that, you know, we can we can i guess uh kind of chastise that activity and behavior but you know i think that and maybe this is their fault too but you know that takes away from the bigger picture of what the issue was in the first place which you know i guess in the beginning there's you know freddie gray and what happened with that but then there's the you know the history of everything that's happened within the Baltimore Police Department um has been well documented um and it's, it's you know the documentation has just been increasing over the past couple months with the um you know the revelations of the amount of settlement money that the Baltimore Police Department has had to pay out uh over the past few years for you know police brutality um and then, you know, the deaths and the um, injuries to people who have been in custody to where, you know, maybe there were a couple peaceful protests and things like this, but it just keeps, you know, happening over and over again. So I think this is the bubbling up from, you know, Tyrone West and, you know, everybody who was, you know, roughed up and settled and then the people who were roughed up and were too afraid to report it. 
to the kids at Mondaman who were roughed up every day. And then, you know, what they did was they um, they shut down the public transportation. You know, Mondaman is a major transportation hub. That's where, you know, that's the way a lot of these kids were supposed to get home. And so you show up to, you know, try to get home from school, and you're confronted by a bunch of police officers who were there because of, you know, rumors of the purge or whatever that there was, you know, that was going to happen. And um, so they shut down transportation. So you're out here stranded and you have these cops looking at you like you're crazy. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like they provoked the whole thing to even happen, you know. Mm. So it's like, it has me thinking, like, is this some type of setup or is this some type of mishandling or what? Because, you know, it started off, at least this part of it, it started off with a bunch of teenagers. And, you know, there were these rumors of the purge that was going to happen or whatever, but um, it just wildly escalated into, into, into something else. And now the news is on it and... <clears throat> Um, things are being spun in the media. You know, our city has been often maligned um, throughout the years, and it's like this is another stain on it. But, you know, it's also yeah. actually shedding light onto, you know, things on a national level to where you have the President of the United States <laughs> talking about it. So, you know, like you said earlier, I, I, I guess before we started recording, um, for all this trouble, some change better happen. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm just, I don't know, man. It's, uh, you know, well, for, actually, first of all, um, it's funny to me, like, we see all these cops in these pictures, like, you know, like, just in droves. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to believe, it's hard for me to believe that the city <laughs> has these many cops because these motherfuckers are never around, around at the right time. I mean, Every, well, well. See now, um, are you talking about before they brought in all the cops, or, or like the pictures now? Oh, 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 before. I'm talking about like the first day. Okay. There were quite a bit of cops. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of, of uh-huh. cops out there. I mean, yeah. I mean, they keep talking, talking about they have a shortage, and I mean, well, I'm sure they do, but I mean, just just to see, you know the amount of cops in that one area or just like in various areas before they started calling in um calling in other cops from other places. It just makes me wonder like where are all these motherfuckers when, you know, injustice is ha- is happening all throughout the city. You know, yeah. things that actually could use a cop, but they're never around. They and then they but then whenever you see more than one of them, they wanna pull they wanna pull over one car that has one person in it with probably a child. Yeah, I mean, and that goes back to, I guess, the culture of the police department and how, you know, something drastic has to happen to to change it. And it's like, you know, I hate to see everything that's happening, and I hate to feel the effects of it, you know, just in my personal life. Um, but it's like, it's almost like almost a nas- like a last resort. You know, it's like a cry for help. It's like, you know, we done tried everything, and this is all we got. So, you know, in order to stop those types of things happening, like, you know, every time you drive past, like you were saying, like, you have all these police cars that's on one person, and it's like, you know, I always look like, yo, 
this probably isn't necessary. You know, like they just messing with this person for real. Because, you know, I've had similar situations being pulled over by a whole bunch of cops. And it's like, you know, for what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, um, looking for something or you're trying to provoke something so that something can happen. And it's like, you know, it's like they they poke the sleeping bear, you know, one too many times. Yeah. Um, well you know, and this all this also goes to um the just like the the political system in, in Baltimore. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I've t- I've told my mother over the years I said that I don't think Baltimore will get any better. Do you hear that? I did hear that. Well, I'm assuming that that's recorded too, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's like some type of scratching thing or something. I don't know. Maybe they're listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, oh, shit. I didn't think about that. Well, this is really a, a real hip-hop podcast now. got scratches going on throughout the uh, <laughs> conversation. Um, but, yeah, I've been telling my mother for years that, you know, um, I would think that Baltimore could actually use, um, you know, like a, just a, a large purge of, of the entire political system, city council, mayor, and all this other type of stuff, and install, like, Republicans in there. <laughs> because I think the city got too, I, I think, like, the culture of the city just got a bit too comfortable for, you know, the the Democratic Party, or, or, or some, some new party should be in there for, like, a, I don't know, one or two terms or something. Because now, like, you see people in these various forms of power, and they're like, you know, they're so-and-so's homeboy, and, and they just know they want to be reelected next year, and no one really cares. And they'll probably just wait until Rollins, Blake, or whoever Mary is, just steps down or something that happens to her. And this is what's been going on since, what, past eight years. Yeah, I mean, it might even uh, be longer than that. Um, what's interesting is um, I was listening to Sean Hannity the other day, and um, he was pretty much making a similar point that, you know, for the past 40 years or whatever, Baltimore has been a democratically um, controlled city, and you see the situations getting worse and worse and worse under the same type of politics of the same type of people, or not even politics, but policies from the same types of people um, who come from a certain political lineage, you know. So it's like each one is just furthering the... Um, you know, pretty much the same agenda as the one before. And, you know, if it's not working, you know, why not try something different? I mean, yeah. And, you know, like, um, just from what I can recall, um, like the different mayors and their various, various agendas, and, you know, just recalling, I guess, like, you know, what Dixon has said over the years and, you know, what Rollins Blake, what, um, what, what, what she's always ran under. And a lot of it has always been based around bringing more money to the city. And the city needs so much money because, you know, they're in some weird deficit. I'm pretty sure they stay on the city, still is. But it's come, it, 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 it's been, it's been like such a big part of, like, I guess, um, what these mayors who have been all, all within the same party, what they ran on, that they, they start kind of sounding Republican <laughs> in a way. And then you keep mean, talking about bringing these this big big business and all this other type of crazy stuff into the city. 
and uh, offering all these tax breaks to different businesses and stuff. And then, not even in terms of that, but um, also, um, didn't O'Malley, didn't he have the zero tolerance policy when it came to crime? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's that too. And then um, it's some system that O'Malley created with some people that I think um, Obama is trying to implement into like the federal system. Mm. And so I know he got like a whole bunch of cool points for that. But yeah, because I know that crime supposedly went down under his reign in Baltimore. But like, I didn't get a chance to read the article, but, um, you know, David Simon, he... Yeah. Um, he wrote some scathing article about O'Malley and how, you know, it's basically his policies that led to this. And I think part of it probably has something to do with the zero tolerance. And um, I'm not exactly sure, um, you know, what he said, but just the whole thing with the zero tolerance, it makes me think of Rudy Giuliani in New York and how he can brag and boast about how crime is going down. But, you know, you look at his policing tactics and, where that led to with the stops and frisks and everything and, you know, the deaths of, uh, you know, unneeded deaths and, you know, people's rights being violated um, because of that, you know, the stop and frisk and the zero tolerances and the broken glass theories and people getting all kind of jail time for some weed, you know, um, and you have one, you know, Republican and one Democrat, both mayors of large cities, and it's like there's no difference. Yeah. So I don't know, but um, I guess um, going back to the protests, man, it's just like you know, since uh, I guess this is what the third night of the uh, of the curfew that's going on, and this is like you know one of the consequences of you know, the actions of the few who, you know, were like the guy who uh, I described earlier. But, man, this shit sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I can imagine. Like, I remember the first night of the curfew. Um, you know, I was at my girl's house and, you know, all, you know, all outside, you just hear cars and, you know, dirt bikes and stuff just speeding trying to rush and get home so you won't get arrested and you know they got the national guard here and all these other um you know officers from other agencies and it's like it almost feels like we're being occupied by an invading army and what what made it worse is earlier um there was a press conference i was watching i think it was from um the police commissioner and the um, adjutant general of the National Guard, and they were talking about what their strategy is going to be for withdrawing the troops. And, you know, basically they're not, like, they don't know when they're going to start withdrawing them, but they're not going to offer, like, a definitive uh, date probably to the public, and it's not going to be all at one time. They're going to withdraw in stages to make sure that, you know, everything remains calm. And I'm like, hold on, this sounds like when Obama was talking about how he's going to withdraw the troops from Afghanistan. Yeah. Like, you had this occupying force that is supposed to be peacekeepers and everything like that, and then you're going to withdraw them in stages to try to, you know, you know, maintain order and all that other type of stuff. And I'm just like, you know, I feel like... I feel like the treatment that we're getting 
is almost like like we're not a part of whatever this is supposed to be, like whatever America is supposed to be. Like it's almost like we're another country, and um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's you know, you know, it's a horrible feeling. Like I, I don't feel free right now. <laughs> Hmm. And then, well, you um, know, oh, go ahead. Um, when I was talking to my friend the other day, and um, I was telling her that uh, what's interesting about Baltimore too is the fact that it's an independent city, right. and um, because I was, you know, we kind of got into like you know the like the bickering that um that's that's been going um on between Rawlings, Rawlings Blake, and um and Hogan, mm-hmm. and um. I'm not entirely sure, but if I if I recall it, the way an independent city works, at least Baltimore, is the fact that the mayor has way more power, you know, compared to like a a, a regular mayor of just like a regular city. Um, and so I'm not entirely sure though, but I'm assuming that he has like this weird power of being in power of a um of an independent city that she kind of has to she can kind of tell Hogan what she's going to do about what's going on in the city. Is that true? You know, um, I think it was true at first, um, and I guess one of the criticisms has been that she took so long to call him, and um, you know, to get the National Guard activated. And of course, he flipped that for his uh, political gain, talking about you know we tried to call twice and she didn't answer, and you know we were all ready, we were just waiting for that call. And then he said, I'm taking over now, and I'm moving my office to Baltimore in the morning, and, you know, we're not going to have this. And then the other day, it might have been yesterday, um, there were pictures of Larry Hogan down Gilmore Homes talking to people and giving them hugs and stuff like that and smiling with them. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, so Larry Hogan down down on Gilmore. Of course. And um, it was just like, I was just like, man, you know, she, they really threw her under the bus, but she snapped back early today and she said something to the effect of, you know, I understand, you know, Larry Hogan, you know, he's a new executive and he's just really excited right now. He just wants to, you know, make sure he doesn't look bad, you know, having just gotten into office. Mm. So I thought, I thought that was interesting. I mean, well, she. I mean, she. She's. She has a point, but um, I think that her career is just like fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, what it seems. But you know, I mean, and, I mean, because like the, I don't know when it comes like to her and like in my in like my criticism, I can I just always harken back to um that that derby that she had the, the first one. Oh yeah, the uh, the uh, Baltimore Grand Prix. Yeah, 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 and just how how bad it was. It was horrible, and they didn't even make no fucking money off of it. <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 like I think the plan was that it was probably going to lose money for the first three or four years or something like that. But I don't think it made it to the third year. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know. Like one thing, I did commend her for taking a big risk. You know, sometimes you're going to fail. But, you know, I, 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 like I did, you know, I was like, you know, this is probably not a good idea, but she's just like, F it, I'm going to go with it, and I'm going to go hard, and, you know, maybe it'll work, but, you know.
know, I had to give her her props for that. But I think I think Baltimore just wasn't ready for that at that time. Like she has a vision of Baltimore, what she's trying to make it and mm-hmm. try to fit it into a certain mold. But you know, um, I guess another criticism of her has been how she's built up Harbor East and is trying to gentrify, or as a lot of people would say her only focus is bringing in more white people at the expense of investing in, you know, some of the um, actual neighborhoods where people out here, you know, really struggling and suffering. And, you know, these are the neighborhoods that are, you know, where people are riding and burning down and looting and stuff like that. And, um, another thing that um, I was thinking, and I saw this picture that kind of brought this to light, is like I saw a picture of uh, um, of a neighborhood, and it was all boarded up houses, and it said, "This is what it looked like before the riots," and it just looked all fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it just it just reminded me of how. You know, I would bring my friends from other cities to Baltimore, and they would always say, it looks like a bomb hit it. And I'm just like, that kind of changed my perspective, too, a little bit. Like, damn, it's fucked up what's going on. But it's like, you know, it was already fucked up to begin with, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, It's just like, I don't know, like. You know, at least, at least, you know, some more attention is being brought to it. And I think it's to a point where, you know, the eyes are on things and are on people and processes to where, you know, whatever corruption, not whatever corruption, but, you know, a lot of corruption that's going on, um, they're not going to be able to get away with that for very much longer. I mean... I guess the uh, pessimist to me is saying, yeah, they're going to knock out all the uh, stuff that's going on now and it's going to make room for new stuff. But Mm -hmm. I feel like something has to happen as a result of all this. Um, I don't know, man. It's just like the, like the, like the, the string of, um, of various Baltimore mayors that have Mm -hmm. kind of, They've just kind of just had their their reign of fuckery on the city to a certain extent, um, because you know, like based on like based on what like older older Baltimoreans will tell you, they'll tell you that you know Kurt Schmoke was the reason for these boarded up houses. Yeah. Um. And you know, you look at Schmoke. Um. Dixon came out of Schmoke, right? Uh, I thought it was O'Malley. Oh, that's right, yeah, that's right. I keep, I keep getting that he was even a damn uh, mayor sometimes. Yeah. Um, O'Malley, and of course he's the white one, and he's the one that gets the most attention, of course. O'Malley, and then Dixon, and then Rawlings Blake, and they really haven't exactly done a lot. But um, I do know Rawlings Blake. She also, she, I remember some years ago, she was implementing this um type of strategy to to bring in. Um, I think about 10,000 immigrants over like the next several years, um, to, to try to boost, um, Baltimore's economic activity or something like that. Um, from what I can recall in the article that I read from the Sun, like years ago. 
Um, and I, maybe it's working a bit more. I don't. I mean, maybe it's working because I know sometimes on the bus you'll you know you'll see um, a duplicate Spanish um, version of a, of an ad on the bus nowadays. Yeah, I noticed that for the first time um, the other day. I was riding the light rail. I noticed that they started having the announcements and stuff in uh, Spanish. Oh well, wow. yeah. that's a that's a new thing. Uh, I don't know. It's like you know, trying to upgrade Baltimore to I guess a more cosmopolitan type of uh, type of place, and I guess you know the city is going through change and growing pains and stuff like that. But like you know, I think I think with all of this media hype that Baltimore has been getting and the bad rap that we get, you know, Baltimore is. A city of education, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we have Johns Hopkins, we have Morgan, we have Coppin, we have Loyola, we have Notre Dame, you know, we have all these, um, educational institutions of higher learning, um, you know, they talk about the school system, but you know, we do have some, some pretty good schools, um, here and there, um, and um, I think that that part, a lot of times it gets neglected, you know, in favor of, you know, I guess what is the media hype and the media sensationalism. And um, I think that, um, you know, in these cases where, I guess, you know, going back to the Freddie Gray, you know, I think that that uh, educational part, of the city, um, you know, you have all these writers and thinkers and people here who are able to take the story and the narrative and flip it. And, you know, when various aspects of the media try to, or, you know, the police, they try to, you know, tell lies about various things or they try to spin a story a certain way. It's like, boom, you know, they're getting checked intellectually and fact-wise because, you know, we have those people here. And hopefully... You know, this translates into, you know, more people fact-checking and, you know, coming at the people of power and, you know, really keeping them on their toes to where, you know, you can't get over on the people that for very much, you know, for that much longer. Because, like, they've done some crazy things. Like, um, I guess the first night of the protests, a, uh, some type of debris caught on fire in front of the uh, library at Penn North, mm-hmm. and they tried to say that the protesters were throwing fireworks, and that's what set it on fire. And the Baltimore police put that up on their Twitter, and then you know some reporter put up, "No, it wasn't that. It was the pepper bombs that the police were throwing at the protesters, and that's why the cop was so quick to go over there and put it out." Mm-hmm. But it was like a whole bunch of little things. Like um, I think. The Washington Post put up something about, you know, Freddie Gray's uh, spinal injuries or something like that. Um, Previously, he had spine surgery and wasn't supposed to be on there, and they brought something up. But then people fact-checked that really quickly, like, no, that's not the case. You know, the case that they're talking about, the medical thing, has something to do with, like, some lead pain or something like that. Um, And, you know, there's just been these instances of fact-checking the media and, you know, refuting their lies so hopefully you know 
a tradition of that will, you know, has been birthed or has been strengthened and will continue throughout all of this. Yeah. You know, um, you know, like, you know, we talk about this and, um, I think I find it rather interesting that, um, you know, you mentioned like, you know, we have like the city paper, you know, which was, which was an underground newspaper and whatnot. And now it's a part of, you know, the Baltimore sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember that, um, you know, I think it was one of the editors or whatnot of the city paper, they had that op-ed in the New York Times um, sometime last year. And he went, you know, and he went um, the, he went on about, you know, what can happen about when it, you know, when it comes to media and how, you know, their, um, I guess, their, their, journalistic, their journalistic standards can be kind of hindered because of, you know, because of them being involved in, with a part of a large conglomerate. Yeah. Um, and so, although I mean, this is going on right now, um, in the Sun, they they are very quick to point out various um, government things that go on in Baltimore. But then, I, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking that you know, um, sooner or later, since since you know, I guess over time, maybe they'll try to phase out a lot a lot of a lot of the people who are involved in the city paper who still have that you know, I guess that independent streak of being an independent newspaper. Once that dies out, um, will there really be um, this type of thing anymore, you know, at all? Well, I, guess, well, I mean, I guess you have to go back because, you know, um, the city paper is owned by the same. Uh, like, is it under the Baltimore Sun now or is it just owned by the same company? Um, it's, I think it's just owned by the same company because I, I know the – is the beast still around or did, or did they phase that out? Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I do think it is still around, though, but I know that's directly under the sun. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I guess I want to ask you, what do you think about the Baltimore Sun? Um, well, this is the thing about the sun to me. You know, they, um, and... Kind of thing about it, I'm not entirely sure if, if it's just because of the culture of the, I guess, what is the Baltimore political system. Um, you know, they, they, they do every, you know, every, it seems like at least once a year now, once or twice a year, they come up with some type of scathing, um, story that goes on and on and on, maybe like a month or so about some type of injustice within the political system or whatever like that. And then they talk about, you know, Baltimore's political system and what needs to be changed. And um, maybe they'll talk about the O'Malley's and the Sheila Dixon's and so on and so forth. And then when the new people come around um, to become mayor or governor, they they go with the best bet, it seems. Um, you know, um, I'm not entirely sure if it's right. Sometimes to me it seems like they just endorse people as if they're like, you know, they get paid off to do it. And, you know, and we do have to still think that, you know, although Baltimore is Baltimore and Baltimore Sun is, they do what they do, you know, it's still a part of the stars conglomerate that owns everything all throughout the country. That's true. They're uh, under Tribune, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's something to always keep in mind, but, like, I don't know, like, I guess how you were talking about how they come out with, like, these scathing things that last for a long time. There's a term for that. I can't think of it right now. But, um, you know, those ongoing stories where they unveil some type of corruption. And I guess, you know, the last one that they did was the one that was um, 
talking about these payouts and everything like that. And, um, you know, they're talking about, and I remember them talking about it on the Larry Young Morning Show quite a bit. But, um, um, I don't know. I think, I think those things are very important. And then, you know, just the way that they have, uh, people like, you know, Justin Fenton and, you know, Colin Campbell and a couple other reporters, like how they're always out there on the streets and, you know, tweeting and updating about what's going on and, you know, really using, I guess, you know, social networking and everything to, um, you know, put, you know, give you the stories real time and then they, you know, might write something up to, I guess, contextualize it later. Um, and a lot of times, you know, it does seem like they do expose things that the government probably, you know, wouldn't want to expose or at least not expose so soon or in the manner that they expose them. So, you know, it is a part of, you know, a larger conglomerate, but, I, you know, I find myself giving them props for a lot of things, you know. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like a WJZ or Fox News or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like I think when it comes to major traditional media in the city, that's all you know we've got. And to be honest, like this whole thing is the first time I've checked out one of these local news. Um, uh, programs on TV in years, like, at least maybe even a decade, like maybe since I was a teenager. <laughs> it's probably the last time I actually watched like Fox 45 News or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, but, I mean, but, but then, so, yeah, because, yeah, but then you like, you, but you still constantly pick up, you know, I'm a Baltimore son or whatever like that. Yeah, always checking the sun or, you know, checking the, um, you know, checking out their website and stuff like that. Yeah, Baltimore Sun and the city paper as well. But, I don't know that. I guess the landscape of the media in the city is, uh, pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, I guess looking at the way, uh, local media has been covering everything versus national media is pretty interesting because, you know, if you look at like a CNN on MSNBC, you'd have thought Baltimore blew up. <laughs> like, like it's not here anymore or something like that. But you can drive around all day within city limits and not see any of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not even know that it's going on, you know. And it's interesting too, um uh as part of the curfew, you know, I've seen things on Twitter like the curfew isn't being enforced in various areas, such as Canton, Fells Point, Roland Park. <laughs> of course. So, you know, it really um I don't know, I, I like, I've had a weird um, um, Hunger Games type of feeling when it comes to all this, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, John Stewart had an interesting piece about it. Uh, and this is even before the riots happened. Um, this just had to do with the coverage that CNN gave to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And um, 
they had like this fake, you know, the lady on the Hunger Games who's like, um, I guess in charge of the, um, like the district for the rich people and, you know, they're broadcasting and everything and she's like, yes, um, you know, these, uh, yes, people of Baltimore, you know, your rioting will not, um, will not infringe or, you know, disrupt the festivities that are going on in the capital city. You must pay homage to the capital city or something like that. And it's like, you know, how how that's like the district of the rich people. And then 40 miles away, you have Baltimore, which is like District 13 or whatever district where there's the uprising and everything like that. And the tributes are dying out here at the hands of the Baltimore police. And it's just an interesting type of thing that's going on. And then I get that feeling as well. Um, I was listening to the radio and they were talking about traffic after curfew. They're talking about, oh yeah, I was looking on 695. And I'm like, 695? Why are you talking about traffic on 695? There's a curfew. And I remember 695 goes around the city, but it's in the county. So there's a whole group of people in the Baltimore metropolitan area that don't have to go by this curfew. And it's all based off the lines that are drawn by whichever district you happen to live in. So, you know, I guess this goes into how I was thinking about this weekend, you know, going to a bar or something to go see the Floyd Mayweather fight. Um, All the bars are going to be shut down by 10 on Saturday. So I would have to go out into the county to watch it. And then I can't come back within city limits um, until 5 in the morning or I might get arrested. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, it's just like, damn, like, what kind of, what kind of world am I living in? Like, this, you know, it, I, it's really not freedom. And I don't know what to think about it. Like, you know, on one hand, it's like these looting ass, robbing ass niggas, you know, fuck <laughs> shit up for everybody. And then on the other hand, it's like, this might be a conspiracy by the government to enact martial law. Even though they explicitly said it's not martial law, but they got us, you know, they treating us, like I said earlier, like this is Afghanistan, and they got the troops here, and they're going to start moving back out in waves, and they're not going to say when it's going to be. Like, it's just a mess. Like, I don't know who to point the finger at or who to blame. All I know is I'm not free right now. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well do you, um, do you uh, think you're going to go, go out and watch the fight? Um... I don't know, man. I don't want to miss it. And I feel like, I feel like, you know, going through the trouble of trying to watch it live via, uh, stream, stream or something like that is going to be too much work and it's not going to be as satisfying as you seeing it live as it's intended. So, um, my initial plan was, you know, since my girl, she was kind of near the um, the city-county line, I was going to go out to the county somewhere, watch it, and then sneak back into the city and just go <laughs> right to her house. <laughs> and she was like, no. She was like, I'm not in favor of doing dumb shit or putting yourself in, you know, dumb, risky situations. So I'm not going to condone that. And I don't have any bail money. So, um, I think what I might do is go watch it and then come back to my mother's friend's house and chill out there until 5 in the morning. 
back into the city. But it's just like, it's just not right, you know? Like, if I'm hungry right now, I should be able to leave the house right now and go get something to eat, but I can't do that. And I always was wondering, like, would you be okay on your porch or on your stoop? But I was going to ask you the same exact question. <laughs> yeah, so um, earlier we're watching the news, and they said, no, you can't be sitting out on your stoop. You know, you well, can't that, be on your porch. They don't want you on your balcony. Well, that, yeah, but that, that that's kind of that's weird because the, the balcony, like a balcony in your, in your porch, is considered a part of your house. I mean, your stoop should be a part of your house. I mean, well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that too. That's because, like, um, your house. Yeah, because you like the um, like the like Maryland, the Maryland drinking law. If you go and look at the actual law, technically, if like a parent gives you alcohol, at least in Maryland, it's legal, but it just has to be within the 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 limits of your house, like the confines of your household. But that also includes the porch or the stoop. Nah, man, I've been out. And um, I've been out on people's porches, and, like, you got to, like, put the liquor under the thing or, like, the alcohol under the thing, you know, so the cops can't see it. Because if 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 you, um, if they drive by and they see that, you know, I've heard stories of people, you know, getting citations for drinking on their porch. Hey, look, man, I've, I, I was done wrong when it came to drinking, and technically it was illegal. What they did, but I couldn't fight it, and we we have we're having rides right now because of the illegal shit that cops are doing. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> but no, like um, because you know when I went to my thing, they um, you know I, I talked to the uh, the law library people and they looked it up for me of how it was supposed to go. I think I still have it actually somewhere. Oh man! But but no, but yeah, like it's, it's like an actual law. <laughs> I mean. I don't know, but see, that's weird, though. But then, I mean, are you really going like, to, like, to spend the money to try to fight something that petty? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. But see, that's what they're banking on. And, like, another thing, too, is I feel like there's a reason why they don't want you on your stoop or outside in any type of capacity. And I guess this is, like, the conspiracy theorist in me. They don't want you out there because they're doing stuff that they don't want you to see. And mm. you know they've they've been. Um, I've heard that the, that the cops have been extremely, um, I guess, aggressive towards journalists, especially um, you know ones with cameras and who are taking pictures. And um, then what they did Monday night to that kid was just crazy. Um, I watched it live. I'm sitting there watching. You know, first off, they tried to make it look like something that it wasn't like. Monday night, or not Monday, was it Monday? No, it was a Tuesday night, I believe, the first night of the curfew. You know, there were a couple people out after the curfew, and there was a line of officers, and it was kind of like a, you know, like a face-off or whatever. So, number one, there were more media people out there than actual people who weren't supposed to be out there according to the curfew. But they try to make it like this whole big thing, like the city is about to erupt. But it was really just a couple people versus the police in this one little area. So um, this guy starts walking out with his hands up, and he says, you know, 
I want everybody to listen to me. Everybody listen to me. Um, and he says, um, hold on, there's a car driving up the street. Oh, man, it's some type of, oh, it's a tow truck. It's interesting, like, any time a car drives up the street, you know, I go and see, you know, what type of car it is because nobody's supposed to be driving around. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. But anyway, um, so, yeah, like, um, this guy, he comes out and, you know, he's, like, talking to the media and he's like, everybody, please disperse, please go home. And, you know, everybody's kind of looking at him like, you know, what's going on, what's up with this kid? And, you know, he's out there walking around for a little bit, just in the middle of everything. So then, all of a sudden, this big, like, Hummer comes and blocks the camera so you can't see him anymore. And then you see, like, some of the officers move and descend upon him. And then all of a sudden, the van drives away, or, like, the Hummer-type joint drives away, and the kid is gone. He's gone, like, yo, yo, I never saw anything like that in my life, like, a car, and, and then the people were like, um, so yeah, the people on the news like, yeah, uh, this car just drove up, and drove away, and the kid is gone, and we don't know if they did that on purpose, but it's definitely, um, interesting, Joseph Kent, that's his name, hmm. so, um, Joseph Kent, you know, he's a known activist at Morgan or whatever, and apparently people don't know where he is. <laughs> and, like, I see his his lawyer on uh, Twitter earlier was like, you know, if anybody knows where he is or whatever, you know, you know he has my cell phone number. Tell, please tell him to call me. <laughs> Oh, man. So, I don't know. I don't know where he is. I guess maybe they found him. Uh, let me just go through here real quick. While in jail, Joseph Kent sang just a little bit of faith to keep his spirits up. Well, I guess he's out now. And, yeah, and lawyers pick, uh, you know, posting up pictures and stuff. Damn. Yes, yeah, 14 hours ago. Can someone please tell Joseph to call me? He has my cell number. 11 hours ago. Just spoke with Joseph Kent. Back on track. Media interviews forthcoming. Stand by. <laughs> so is he is he talking about what happened to him or what? Or he can't talk he, about it? I guess he's going to talk about it. Oh. You know, once he uh, does his media stuff and all that but yeah this is just I mean everything that's just been happening is so weird and I guess that's one of the weird things and you know I'm sure there's going to be more to come um, because you know of course the weekend is coming up so the protests are going to ramp up and you know Al Sharpton uh, he's about to pop up here and do uh, <laughs> he's about to do a march from uh, Baltimore to D.C. Can King walk that far? Doesn't look like he can. <laughs> well, maybe he won't be walking. I don't know. But I don't know. Maybe he'll get a scooter or something. But yeah, supposed to have a march from from uh, Baltimore to DC. I think Jamal Bryant is supposed to have something. Um, I think black lawyers 
of uh, for justice is supposed to have something. So I don't know. You know, it's just a lot of weird stuff happening. Of course, we didn't talk about the weirdest thing to happen, which is the um, the Baltimore Orioles game. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you did watch it? Did they win? No, no, man. I mean, I, I haven't had the time to watch it, but um, did they win at least? That's a good question. I don't know. I want to say they did. I mean, well, I would hope so. I mean, I think it's kind of embarrassing. Like, you know, you're, you're at your home stadium. There's no one there, and people outside of the stadium are riding around you, and they don't care about what's going on inside. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, they won. No cheers for Baltimore Orioles during win. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) But it's like, it's crazy because you know how we have this ongoing thing about how in the media it's always something crazy that's Baltimore related that makes the city look bad or crazy? Yeah. (laughs) And like... Now it's just at an all-time high. <laughs> well, did have you did you hear about like you know like the whole CIA investigation with the prostitutes and everything like that? Oh my goodness! Yeah, that was a couple weeks ago, and um, somebody's uh, somebody's child, some some politician's child, or somebody get uh, were they busted as part of some type of prostitution thing as well? Uh, I. I think so, but it's like it's it's Baltimore related in some weird way because like one of the people who had something to do who was, who was kind of like high up in the CIA or something like that, she is from Baltimore. Oh man! <laughs> and so she's um you know, of course she she's getting the boot. Mm. And I, th- I think I think she was like she was like she had she's had her she's had her position since like you know I think the Clinton. Administration and Obama just decided to keep her around because she's been there so long, or something like that. But yeah, she's from Baltimore, and of course, this would have to happen under her reign. Yeah. Of course, NPR they made sure they said she was a Baltimore native. <laughs> I guess the other thing in Baltimore that's all in the news, and I've heard people bring it up, is um about uh the whole thing from a couple of years ago with the uh, uh, BGF in the prisons. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I forgot about the leader or whatever, you know, he got uh, a, a couple um, COs pregnant at the same time and they're still basically running everything from inside. It's just like, that was a huge national news story. <laughs> and then, I mean, this, this is golden to, I mean, it's like... Baltimore just has like this curse that like the jewels put on it or something like that. Yeah. And um like Billy Holiday was from Baltimore and although she's seen as like, you know, this this famed jazz um just jazz musician, she still had like this really rough life and her heroin addiction and stuff like that. Like Alan Poe died in Baltimore. Uh <laughs> Um, I mean, that, I mean, uh, what's the uh, uh, Nina Simone did an album called Baltimore? <laughs> yeah, and then um, got that, pulled off the stage when she uh, performed it because she was talking about all the trash and everything. Yeah, 
and then the the the, the Disney guy who sounded like that, that you sent me a long time ago, the the guy who does all like Toy Story. Paul Newman is it Paul Newman. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> I forgot all about that. It's a very depressing song. Um, but yeah, man, just, just so I mean, Baltimore just has like a black cloud over its head. But then it's weird because you know in the in you know like the mid nineteenth century, or whatever like that, Baltimore was like you know the most popping city in the in the in the country at one point. If not the world, to a certain extent. Yeah, it's like you know, it's it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what happens next because, like, I don't know, man. It's just crazy because you know, even after you look at Ferguson and stuff like that, it's just crazy to see that happen here. And, you know, what's going to happen here after? And, you know, is it, you know, we talk about it getting better, you know, politically and stuff like that. But, you know, is it ever really going to get better quality of life-wise to where, you know, the people who have the lowest quality of life um, to where their quality of life at least gets a little bit better? Because if their quality of life gets better, it's going to get better for everybody. And, um, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, like, the, uh, I guess the opportunities for economic investment in certain areas or maybe even the city as a whole, like, that's going to dry up. Like, people aren't going to want to build things here or anything like that because, you know, of everything that just happened. People aren't going to want to start businesses here. They're not going to want to move here. You know, they had this whole thing about how they had to change the uh, image of the city after the wire. But mm-hmm. now it's just amplified so much more. And, yeah. you know, it's hard to... It's hard sometimes to even combat that image. Like, with positivity, even though, you know, it's not all bad and, you know, there, you know, there are, you know, a majority of peaceful protests and protests have been going on every day. Like, every day there's some type of protest to the point where now, I don't know if you've seen it, but there was a huge protest last night in, um, in New York. Um, and there's pictures of, like all these people out in Union Square and the cops arrested people there. Um, but there's been protests in Chicago, there's been protests in Ferguson, um, in Minnesota, D.C., so it's like everybody's in solidarity with Baltimore right now, and it's, it's kind of an amazing thing, but it's like a scary thing as well, too, because, you know, this thing is nowhere near over. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine, and that, that's the thing. I'm, I'm trying, I'm still trying to to to, to make my uh, my pop up visit. <sighs> um, so I guess we'll see. We'll see if that works out. My guess. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> you, might, you might be trying to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, well, um, I did hear that your mother said something. Um. Something to the effect of maybe it's a good thing that I, I, I just don't come home anyway this summer or something like that. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I think um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, um, you know, they finished the investigation today. And so they gave the results to the prosecutors. They haven't released to the public, but I see, like, some things have come out. I haven't really had a chance to look at it and stuff like that. But, you know, if if these charges and indictments and eventual um, conviction or non-conviction and sentencing don't go the right way, oh, my goodness. I mean, I can, I can, I can see them going the right way. I mean, they, they just kind of have to just based on the climate of Baltimore anyway. Like, you know, when it came to Trayvon Martin, I, really, I just I had a feeling he was, going, he was going to get off anyway. Yeah. But, like, this, though, I mean, this is like Baltimore. Like, this is this is an all-black town, <laughs> damn near. So. <laughs> That's true, but I don't know, man. Crazy things have happened, and you know, if if the DA really feels like she doesn't have enough evidence to to move forward, and she can't move forward, or you know, even if she does, if the jury can't find enough evidence to move forward, and then you have six cops, like each one of these cops, you know, you're gonna have to like figure out who did what to who, and all this other type of stuff. Like, are they all uh, equally culpable? Um, are some of them going to take plea deals and get off scot-free for snitching on the other ones? And then can that even be um, taken seriously? Or is it just going to be somebody trying to get off and lessen their time? You know, so I don't know. Like, I, I can't see it. I mean, I see something happening, but I can't see it being satisfactory. Um, completely. I think it's going to be a degree of satisfaction, whether it's 70% or whether it's 90%, but I think that it might be closer to like 60%. I mean, I think there's going to be, I mean, just the satisfaction, period, because, I mean, that still doesn't, you know, it's, I mean, all, all the things that have been going on, it still doesn't solve the, the underlying issue of the, you know, the institution of racism, the institution of, you know, economic power. Yeah. Um. And who knows how how you go about trying to fix that? That's a whole other a whole other story. And I guess that's how, that's when you get back to abstract concepts. Well, abstract concepts, maybe not so much with um economics, but with you know race. Yeah. Um. But you know, um. I really do think it's just re- it's really just like the older you know the older people who who really enable that this institution to really thrive the way it is. Now, yes, I know I say this, and, you know, this is what, this is what, the, the sixth episode now, at this point? Um, is this the sixth episode? I believe this is the sixth episode. We've done so many, and then we have the other one in the can still. Um, but I think in terms of what we put out, yeah, this is episode six. Oh yeah, yeah, and so you know, I and I think I um, I mentioned this in that, in that the other episode, four episodes ago, in episode two, when it was pretty much my episode just about the SAE protests, and you know, then these were young young people doing this shit. So, um, so I don't know, man. I guess the uh, young people who are 
you know, out here protesting and stuff, do you think that they'll get old and I guess, you know, as they say, when people get older and become more conservative, do you think that part of getting older is perpetuating the systems of um, inequality and injustice because as you get older, you have more to gain from it? Well, I would say to a certain extent, yeah. But, you know, just like I think my my experience here with the people that, um, you know, I have to work with, you know, we, we all come from, you know, different backgrounds, of course. And I'm just I'm realizing that like a lot of them they don't they come from areas that don't have black people at all, pretty much. Right. Um, let alone in an urban area. And so I also think that it, it you know, it 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 also deals with I guess that's like, you know, self self interest and just being disconnected from other cultures that do um um that, that do go on with it all throughout the country. Mm. So, I mean you know, people in Colorado, Minnesota. I mean, come on, are there really black people in Minnesota like that? Um, other other than other than people who work who are, like play for the Timberwolves. <laughs> <laughs> Real talk. I thought that team was mostly white. Like, that. <laughs> actually, yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely sure at this point. But you know, just like you know, Minnesota and you know, and I forget that you know, California isn't just you know San San Francisco and L.A. You know, they they do have like actual you know, rural rural areas. Um, they, they have branches and look like it looks like the West. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you just think about Maryland, I mean, most of Maryland is not like Baltimore. You know, it's you don't have to drive very far to get to a rural area. You know, you can start in Baltimore and drive twenty, thirty minutes and see farms and people who live a whole nother type of lifestyle and are completely apathetic or just don't understand anything that's going on, you know. I have a co-worker from um, Carroll County, and she's probably, like, close to 70 years old. And she was saying, you know, there was no better time to grow up than the 60s. And she was talking about how great it was and all that. And she was like, and, you know, race wasn't even an issue. I mean, I didn't really hear or say anything about it. It just it just wasn't an issue. And I'm just like, but, wow. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like, even what she said, that's, that, that, that really goes into, you know, regional diversity. You know, I told you about the story before about, um, you know the other uh, woman from um, Atlanta. Um, well, I'm assuming she, she's white, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the woman I was, the white woman I was telling you about from Atlanta, you know, when she, when she had to go through oh, uh, when yeah. it came, you know, in the '60s when um, when Martin Luther King was assassinated. And yeah, so I mean, I, I really think a lot of a lot of this really has to do with regional diversity. Um, because from what I know, I have yet to really meet anyone, um, in my area that really comes from like an urban, an urban setting, except for one probably, or maybe a couple. But for the most part, you know, they live in these, um, really insular area, areas. And, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times when you, when you hear about urban, you know, you, you read things on urban studies, just, you know, um, Urban life period, and you, and like a big focus is on the insularity 
of these um of like projects and like the way these types of urban areas are built, but no one ever talks about the insularities of these of you know of suburban areas to a certain extent. Not the way they do to not the way they they do about urban areas at least to a certain extent. But at least it seems like when it comes to like suburban areas, like these type these other types of areas, the insularity is a good thing. But then these urban areas, insularity is a bad thing. I mean, I think I think that's a double standard, and you kind of shed light on, I guess, double standards between urban areas and you know suburban or rural areas, and really about you know just I like like I'll take it even further um, because you know when you think of areas, you think of class. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of, um, you know, a suburban type of area, you think of somebody middle, upper middle class, you think of somebody in the projects, you think of lower class. And so somebody from the projects can do the same or similar things that somebody from these other areas can do. And, or, you know, and, you know, one is more acceptable than the other or one activity or behavior needs to be studied when it's considered completely normal. So when you talk about, you know, the insularity of one area and how they're studying it, um, it, and they're so fascinated by it, but when you look at the insularity of a gated community in the suburbs, it's like, oh, yeah, this is just where we live. And it's funny because you have, you know, the people who are probably doing these studies probably live in an area just as, if not more, insular than the people that they're studying, <laughs> <laughs> which is the weird conundrum. And then, you know, it goes back to, um, you know, I guess what Tana Hesey Coates was saying about how, um, uh, you know, the people who preach nonviolence in the movement, you know, you know, you know, they stop in halfway, like you know, who was violent first. So it's like, you know, a certain class of people, it's okay to be violent, you know, with, you know, oftentimes without provocation or, you know, just reason or cause. But then when you flip it and it happens for people of a certain class, all of a sudden now it's a problem. Now we've got to bring in the National Guard, you know, like, and there's always that argument that people bring up, which is actually very true. You know, when 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 the students of uh, these colleges riot because their team lost or won, you know, they don't call these people thugs or anything like that. And a lot of times they cause pretty much just as much, as much damage as, you know, has gone on in Baltimore. But the people in Baltimore mm. are thugs and looters and criminals and everybody else, they get to be college students. That's a good same activities and behavior, but, you know, one is being looked at a certain way. Yeah. No, that kind of, um, you know, it, it kind of goes into, you know, what, what I was um, talking about with someone earlier today about, um, you know, like how, how, it, how it is being treated here, you know, like, I guess the the surprise that I get from from various people when they find out I'm a graduate student, and it's to the point that they don't know how to take it, and you know, just dealing with various racial issues here in Oklahoma, 
you know, I, I come across various people disrespecting me, but, you know, I'm this, you know, I guess what you, you, what you will, I guess you will consider an upstanding citizen who is working on a, on a graduate degree. But no one cares about that. They just see me for, you know, for, for who I am. And I guess like the going back to like these double standards and um, so on and so forth. Because, I mean, you know, sometimes it gets, it gets pretty frustrating. You know, you, you, you sit up here, you do the so-called right thing that, you know, that you're told to do, and yet people still don't care about it to a certain extent. It's, um, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like, an, like a caste system. Like, you know, you're not you're not playing by the rules of society. It's like what are you doing here? You know, you're not one of us, you'll never be one of us. You know, you're of that lower class that that black caste you're not supposed to be here. And, you know, it's like um you know, at what point will that ever be erased, if ever, you know? Mhm. It's like it's like every time you walk through a door, you're crossing an invisible line, or you're crossing, or you know maybe even breaking a social contract that has been you know established before you were even born. You know you're not staying to your place, you're not staying to your area. So you know I th- I think. You know, you walking in certain places might be an affront to, you know, people's uh, way of life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I told you about the uh, the, the vegan spot, and like the, the way this man, like he looked at me, the way he treated me, it's as if I was, you know, infiltrating the, the system. <laughs> you know, of how shit's supposed to go. Like, you know, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be seeing this conscious black man with the chew stick in his mouth. He actually knows about healthy healthy eating because I want him to die soon. <laughs> and um, and also, you know, when I had a conversation because, like, you know, you know, before we we recorded, you know, I was telling you about how how bad this really is, like the like the racist shit that I go through um, around here. Day and night, and um, also one another element like when I've touched on this before is, is the is the uh, the Starbucks element. You go into a Starbucks, you know, and you get whatever you know you get whatever you're getting, but you know, half the time I'm the only black guy in there. Um, and even you know you may see a couple people coming every now and again, black people, but you know they just get that drink and they leave. Um. And, you know, I'm, I'm there with all these other white students, you know, studying and doing whatever. And, you know, I come in there with, like, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten books stacked or spread all throughout the table with a writing pad, you know, vigorously writing or typing or, or typing on, on my computer or whatever like that. And it's the look I get when older older people, I mean, even some younger people, but usually older people, I get mean looks for just for, for sitting around and writing as if I'm like writing on the destruction of the white race. <laughs> and you never know, maybe they, they could be thinking this, like seriously. You just never I know. Mean, I mean, but you got to think like, especially, I think, you know, you know, if they're old enough, they come from a time where black people aren't supposed to read. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it's funny 
funny because me and my girl, we talk about this. You know, literacy, um, the ability to read and get knowledge, you know, that's something that has been kept from various people for various years, especially black people. Not, well, I should say especially, but including black people. And, you know, it's a way to keep you ignorant and subservient because if you can't read and get knowledge for yourself from a you know particular source, you know, you have to ask someone who can read for um to tell you, you know, what it is and what's going on and you just have to take that word for it. So I guess by you um reading and writing and really getting into these various books on various topics, it's like you know, oh, he's reading, he's gonna find out the truth and then when you think about the types of things that you um, are reading and the truths that you are finding out and unearthing every day, you know, about the things that you're studying, you know, some of it is kind of contrary to what, you know, we've been taught coming up. And either that or it's something that was never taught coming up or it's something that's hidden that, you know, nobody wants you to know because it, you know, contradicts everything that, you know, society or everything that kind of keeps society going. So it's like now they look at you as, you know, you're not going to take that word for it. You're going to find out what the word is yourself. And, you know, like you said before, that's one of the most threatening things as an educated black man. Yeah, man, it's like, I mean, and you know, you and, you know, of course, that's one of like the like the primary things you'll hear a conscious black man say. But I mean, seriously, it's one thing you're walking down the street, but if you have books stacked on the table and you're writing, and you have a book like a whole bunch of books open, it's a whole other story. Like, like I, I think they'd rather have me like point a gun at their face or some shit <laughs> sometimes. Because then they can say, "I told you so." Yeah. Yeah, and then you know, like thinking about the uh, the books that I've been like carrying around with me lately, you know, like um, the Slave Community by John Blasting Game or um, Black Majority, Black Slaves and Tea Masters, and all all these different types of books on various um, various institutions of slavery in the country in the nineteenth century. Um, and you know it's interesting too because you know I'm like the only person that's really focusing on it in these in my classes right now. Um, and me personally, I think um, it, it also kind of goes back to, I guess you know like you know just like the, the different regions that we come from, and you know I, like certain certain things that people are studying. You know, they have like a lot of questions for for various people, but usually when I do something, like when I have, um, I present or whatever like that in my classes, um, I don't really get a lot of uh, questions because I don't think they really know too much about what I'm talking about. Mm. And I think that alone is an issue, especially what I sent you earlier. Yeah, man, that was uh, quite disturbing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, people have a long way to go. I don't know, when I read that, it was like, you know, college isn't for everyone. But, I don't know, like, 
it's just interesting to see like the flow of not, you know I was just thinking um you know when you were talking about the types of books and how you might be at Starbucks and you might be the only black person in there um mm-hmm. one day somebody's going to call the cops on you or they're going to call homeland security on you <laughs> <laughs> they're going to put you on a list like you're going to fuck around end up on that airport list to where you have to get that extra search every time you uh you know hop on a plane well, I mean, I, I've been extra searched once in my life. <laughs> oh, man. Because, like, I think um, Talil Kweli said he was um, extra searched because of um, books that he had been checking out from the library or something like that, or uh, ordering off of Amazon. What the? They can, well, I was about to say they, they can do that type of shit, but I get, well, of course they can. Yeah, they keep records of all that. You know, what type of books you're getting and... You know, I guess if you hit that flag too many times, you know, you're going to be under watch. So. Well, it's interesting that you say that because um, I, I guess we might, as well, we might as well go go to hip-hop since a lot of times this is where it all boils down to and hip-hop kind of, you know, grew from this type of, res, um, you know, resentment from the establishment anyway. Yeah. Um, I feel like something that hasn't really been talked about, but I think it's like a really important stuff when it comes to, I guess, the civil rights of um, hip-hop artists and their artistry is the insane clown posse and how they... <laughs> I know you probably you right weren't expecting that, and but um, how they fought, they, they fought a lawsuit against the FBI for them being, being on the list of gangs. Oh, yeah. Um, and I looked at, like, an article for... Um, for like you know, preparing for um the, an episode of the podcast, this was kind of before um the riots happened, and um what they were saying is that because of what the FBI has done, they've seen like a low like a like lower attendance at the gathering of the Juggaloos, and they've had to, like to move it um to a smaller venue. And they, I think, in, like in 2013 or 2014, I think in 2013, um they lost about seven hundred thousand dollars in revenue. Damn. Um, and so they blame they blame the FBI for it, and they say they're going to keep fighting the case until they win. Um, but then when when um, but then they had that, and they had like a, some type of incident where two ju- uh, juggalos they burned. I think like they burned like the the t- like the ITP tattoo off some other guy because they felt as though he didn't he didn't deserve it. Oh yeah, I do remember that. That and that's scary. Like you see like pictures of them. That's just scary. <laughs> oh my god I mean that's 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 when people take being a fan of someone in the movement and they just take that way too far yeah people um start to idolize these artists and everything to the point where they're almost deities to them and you know their philosophies are like you know scripture for people and you know, they just start to do wild things. <laughs> I guess it goes into, um, you know, a lot of times people just just can't think for themselves. Like, I think people get trained to to take in information and not really think about it critically, but they just take in information and move accordingly to that. And... I don't know. That's just crazy to me. 
I mean, yeah, man. I mean, that's why, you know, I've been kind of talking about the idea of, of quiet protest. Mm. Um, all, I think, shit, almost every other episode, you know, like if everyone had some type of, you know, conscience when it came to certain injustices and just, you know, how the institution has been built over time, over a course of like, you know, several hundred years, they would understand way better, and I think they would walk around. Uh, they would walk around differently. They would interact differently with, you know, with, um, with people um, of different, of, you know, with, with white people who treat them a certain way. Mm. You know, and and that and that's another reason why sometimes, you know, I, I mean, I'm still on the fence about the ride, and I mean, like CVS. You, you you know, you, you did bring up a good point saying, you know, like, yeah, it's a CVS that, like, a lot of people can access, and they really don't have access to, like, another another one. Um, and we know how, you know, various foods and just how fucked up the black community is, you know, health-wise, that they need pills anyway, so that's really not helping um, how people get that medicine, which is very important. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, I'm sure they are employed you know, teenagers and stuff, probably from the area they're not too far away, who, you know, won't have jobs anymore. Yeah, man, I mean, that too. And, you know, I'm just I'm just thinking that maybe if the great majority had some type of conscience, you know, this would have been handled a bit better. You know? Yeah, I mean, I guess that goes into, you know, the preparation and the organization where I guess, you know, this thing popped off so randomly or, you know, just out the blue kind of that there wasn't time for that. But I do agree with you that, you know, some type of increase in knowledge and consciousness of the people would make them handle it better. And I'll take it even further. I think that knowledge and consciousness would change well, I can't even say that. I was going to say knowledge and consciousness would change the community to where, um, to where, you know, we would have certain things established already. Like we would have black businesses. We would have people who own their own property and own their own land and stuff like that to where there's really no incentive to do any of this type of stuff, you know? And, you know, we can have our own community and flourish as, you know, the conscious brother's dream. <laughs> but, um, and, you know, my girl was just telling me, you know, I guess reminding me about, you know, Black Wall Street and the, and the Tulsa riots. And, um, I just watched a video about that and basically, you know, how they built Black Wall Street and, and um, also known as Little Africa and, uh, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And how, you know, they had, uh, they had, you know, plumbing and, uh, you know, before like a lot of white communities and they had movie theaters and they basically had, you know, a very thriving community. And they said that, you know, a dollar circulated in that community, you know, X amount of times before it left and everything was all good until the Klan basically came in and destroyed it and killed 300 people and burned it to the ground. And then they tried to rebuild, but then they passed a law saying that you can't build anything here unless you make it flame-proof. Yeah. People just said, fuck it. And um, I think there's a history of whenever we get together and try to build something, of it being torn down by 
you know, the government or white people or, you know, just, um, I don't want to say white people, I'll say institutionalized racism or systemic racism to where people are just like, fuck it now, you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, every time we do something, it's going to get knocked down some type of way. So, I don't know, like, whenever we try to get some type of consciousness or something like that, they just remind you that you're still a nigga. I guess another example for that is um, when Henry Louis Gates was arrested for uh, trying to get into his own house. And it's yeah. like, how much more consciousness can you have? Yeah. <laughs> nigga. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's... And, you know, I, I based a lot of this off, like, you know, the protests that happened here and, you know... Um, all of a sudden, I see people, you know, wearing various um, shirts about being unheard and, you know, something about black people. Mm. And in my head, I'm like, you know, I, I haven't seen these um, before, you know, other than, you know, this one incident. And I just knew they were just going to disappear once everything was set and done after the cameras stopped rolling and everyone left. And. And I was pretty much right. And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking that if you can, you know, I'm not saying, like, every every day, but if you can, like, you know, just put on that shirt, you know, you know, every now and again, you know, and I mean, like, you know, everybody, you know, like a lot of, you know, black people, especially young black people. So to give, you know, people a sense of, you know, what they know what time it is or something like that. Yeah. It could be really effective in trying to curb certain things that um that that do go on, you know, and we and we then we wouldn't have these crazy rides where you know essentially they're just fucking up black businesses, and that's the one thing that people have been talking about since you know the the nineteenth century. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. I guess I guess we would go into that level of consciousness and that type of um, mind state that you're talking about. You know, where does that begin? Because, you know, where do you even start to implement that? Because, I mean, you know how it is out here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like... I don't know, maybe if the writers, they, they should have just, you know, looted the, the, the libraries. <laughs> maybe it would have helped some. A little bit. Maybe it would have. I don't know. I mean, the, I mean, the library, too, though, that's an important community resource, and I'm glad nothing happened to it because that's a safe place for kids to go after school. Um, it's a place where they can, you know, might be able to access the Internet and use it. Um, for whatever they need to use it for, um, and a place where they can get some books if they're so inclined. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know, man. Like, I guess it comes back to what we were talking to before, or uh, talking about before, which is, you know, I feel like every time we diagnose a problem and we get into it and we figure out the causes and <laughs> the effects and all this other type of stuff and we're all in agreement. It's like 
came up with a solution, but then it's like, how can we implement it? Yeah. It's like almost impossible roadblocks and stuff like that. Like, it used to be that you could increase consciousness in a group of people through rap music. (laughs) But now, niggas ain't trying to hear that shit, man. Like, niggas is listening to Young Thug. And uh, what did Young Thug say earlier? Um, he said what? I didn't know. I was, I was going to say what, what did he say earlier that you were telling me? Oh man, he said. <laughs> Damn, I forget his exact quote, but basically he said, uh, you know, Baltimore needs to riot and burn that bitch down. <laughs> that you know that that should probably be the the, the title for this for this podcast <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> 